virtue signaling. Have you ever heard that? It's kind of a newer term uh, to express a very old uh, condition of the heart that's been around since the very beginning. That is doing good things only to get noticed, only to look superior to others. Virtue signaling. And this, this picture demonstrates it really well. But he's helping the poor. All right. When we do things just to get noticed, when we do things in certain ways just so that we'll get noticed uh, or get likes on social media or to feel superior, it feels good, right? It feels good. But is it good? Jesus tackles this very attitude of the heart today as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And we must get his teaching so that we will no longer waste our good works by doing them for our glory, but for his. In 2001, Robert Lupton wrote the book Toxic Charity. It's an important book for for those in any kind of charity. Uh, He identified that so much of our charity work that we do actually causes emotional, economic, and cultural harm. And he goes at great length to explain why, but it boils down to this. Why do our good works cause so much harm when we try to do it? He says, because... Even as compassionate people, we have been evaluating our charity by the rewards we receive through service rather than the benefits received by the served. He makes the the case that most of the good works that we do in our society, we do for ourselves. Ouch! That's important. And guess what? Jesus is going to agree with that today. And he's going to teach us, though, the better way, the better motive the better way to live. If, uh, if you didn't get a bulletin and you want uh, one of those, it's got a lot of important things in it, including the sermon notes. Raise your hand, and Mr. Long will put one in your hand. Thank you, Scott. Make sure you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. There's Bibles in front of you, or if you don't have a Bible app, it's an amazing thing these days. You can just download it right on your phone. Okay. <clears throat> While you're getting there, let me just review where we've been. This is the third week in our fall series going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount through Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And in the last two messages, we worked through the entire chapter 5. We saw Jesus is teaching his followers, all of us, how to live in light of the kingdom that will be coming in its full, that he started already 2,000 years ago. In this, the church age, this is the foreshadow age, era, Before his kingdom comes in full. Now, how do we live in this trying and challenging world? In our first two messages from chapter 5, we saw that in the Beatitudes, where Jesus began, Beatitudes means extremely, supremely blessed. He said the way to blessedness, that's happiness, is first into spiritual life by becoming humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't do prideful things. We come humbly to Christ, and we find spiritual life by repenting and trusting Jesus as our Savior. That moves us into abundant life, the happiness our soul longs for, and the better life by following Jesus increasingly. Jesus corrected many misunderstandings that we have, and specifically in areas like anger, lust, divorce, swearing, revenge, and loving our enemies. The principles in focus today now, as we go on to chapter 6, are these. Principles and practices of our spiritual life. Our spiritual life, that element of life. How should we live now in light of the kingdom in areas of our spiritual life and practice? 
and why. And Jesus says great things for us today. Last week's text included the key verse of the entire Sermon on the Mount. So I just want to review that. It was chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus, in addressing hypocrisy, explained just how high of a bar that he has for his followers. He demands for us all. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, whoa, that shocked everybody that was listening that day because the scribes and the Pharisees, they revered as the ones who knew God's law the best and who practiced it the most. And no one could have a higher level of obedience to God's law than the scribes and Pharisees. And that's the point. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. God knew, though, Jesus knew that the scribes and the Pharisees were all about doing the right things for the wrong motives. God looks in our hearts. And when he looked into the scribes and Pharisees' heart, he saw nothing but greed and self-centeredness and insincerity, not godliness, not worship, not love. And these heart motives are deadly. They are eternally deadly. Our good deeds must not be for outward show, but come from a pure heart after God in the ways that he sets forth in his word. So how do we do this? How do we live and practice a spiritual life with the right motivation? And for that, I'm going to use this term that's kind of a buzzword in business terms over the last, I don't know, generation. It's called knowing the why. Knowing your why, your motivation, your reason for doing what you do. We need to know our why. And in Matthew chapter 6, we start with Jesus, point one, warning about the why of your good works. The why, that's again the purpose for which you live, the reason you do things, your heart's motivation for why you do what you do. So Jesus' first word back in chapter 5 at the beginning of the Sermon Mount of the Mount was blessed, happy. His first word today is beware, beware. Let's look at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Take heed, warning, watch out, Jesus says. This is something that's easy, even for well-meaning Christ followers, to slide into because we have a selfish human heart. We're prideful people. We like getting recognized, practicing righteousness, even good things, for the, for the purpose of getting noticed. Look at me. When we do this, Jesus says, the applause of others is all we'll ever have. But from our Heavenly Father... Nothing. Not impressed. Now, how do we avoid this? How do we live instead? And this is one thing that helps us tremendously is knowing the why. So let's seek to do that right now. Knowing the reason behind what we do, what we do, and having the right motivation. So I use that word why. And, and as we all know, uh, kids love to ask the question why, right? I see some people nodding their head vigorously. I've lived through that a time or two. And uh, it's real. Why this? Why that? And, and in, in a great way, it's, it's very good that they're asking that. They're, they're curious about the world, how things work, figuring out what's just and unjust, and it's wonderful. It gets a little annoying, a little tiresome, but that's okay. But here's the thing. As we grow up, as we move into adulthood, the question why is replaced by the question what? Because our success as adults is tied into what we do. 
And so we need to reclaim that and go back to really seeking why. Why do we do what we do? And we find the significance and the purpose and the meaning and the motivation of life and everything that we do as we seek this. And Jesus gives us that gift today. So Jesus, just like last week, Jesus gave six examples of what he was teaching about how to live a righteous life. Today, Jesus gives us, point number two, three examples of proper motives. And we need to hear what he says here, knowing the why in our lives. These three examples are so critical to spiritual practice today, just like they always have been from the very beginning. They are giving, praying, and fasting. These are the three examples that Jesus is going to use to demonstrate his point. But then we're also going to learn a lot of extra things about all three of those. So the first one is the blessed act of worship, giving. Let's begin with verse 1 again and then go into his first example. Verse 1 again, he states the, the point here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2, example number 1. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So we're going to look at wrong motives and right motives for each of these. First, the wrong motive here. The Pharisees had a why. They had a purpose for giving. Their purpose was so that everyone would see them and applaud. Oh, wow. Look how generously they give. See, the Pharisees would never give until everyone was watching. They made sure of that. When Jesus says they have received the reward in full, that is business terminology. It's equivalent to paid in full. So he's saying if a person does any good deed with a heart motive to be seen by other people and recognized and praised, God says paid in full. There will be no other reward for your gift. Now, what's the right motive? Ideally, our giving, which the Bible says a lot about this blessed act of worship, giving, sacrificial giving, all kinds of giving, time, talents, and treasures. Our giving should be joyful. It should be generous and done with the right motive. Let's see. See how the, the Apostle Paul describes this so completely in, in these two verses, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So he's saying give generously and you'll reap generously. That's, that's a principle of God, God's economy. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that's our heart attitude for why we give Jesus' people to the work, to the important work that we do. And our giving is an act of worship. It's blessed by God, but only when it has the right motivation. Hear Jesus' warning here. Beware. Jesus gives an illustration here that helps us and makes us think. He says in, verses, he says in verse 3, But when you give to the needy, here's the right motive, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The image here is like a magician's sleight of hand. How many people like magicians when they blow you away? It's like, whoosh, whoosh. It's like how did they do that? <laughs> and the secret, the power of a magic trick is that it goes unnoticed. 
That's the point he makes here in verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father, I love this part, who sees in secret will reward you. That's our motivation. Give in secret with a heart of worship toward God and generous participation in his work, resisting the urge to be noticed and praised by other humans. God who sees in secret, he will reward you. That's a promise from Jesus that we want. We want God to reward us. That's our why. Now, let me, I'm going to give you a little important word of, of caution for each of these three examples. Here in, in giving, give in secret, you might be thinking, but Reg, doesn't the finance office see how, how much I give when I give to the church? Um, how can it be totally secret? Do I have to have unmarked bills in an envelope? Um, or, hey, isn't it, isn't it appropriate to spread the word about an important fundraiser and set an example of, uh, about how much I gave? Isn't that a good thing? Um, or, isn't it good to raise our number and make high bids at the chili cook-off auction in two weeks from now so that other people will raise their bids? Isn't that good? Yes, all of those things are good. So let me clarify this. Remember, God is looking at your heart and all of these things. He's looking at your heart. What's your motivation for what you do? He's not looking at legalism, which is conformity to a set of rules. And some people twist this. For example, I heard of a pastor who actually taught his church that we should never give recognition for anything anyone does and never tell anyone thank you. Because if you do, you're stealing the reward from God. Now, that is a legalistic interpretation of it. That's, not, that's missing the point that Jesus is teaching, that God looks at the heart. Certainly, there are times where it's appropriate to say thank you, to express appreciation, to recognize, to proclaim, raise that bid higher at the chili cook-off auction for that thing. A pie. It needs to be $500 pie. It's the most amazing thing. It's going to a good cause. And we see it, and we rejoice, and God looks at our hearts. Now, the heart is what says, are we doing this only for people to praise us, or are we doing it for God's glory and God's work? He knows your heart. And my hope is that we will continue to express our appreciation for your acts of service and giving in the most appropriate way. That's healthy and encouraged in Scripture, of course, as well. The point is, keep our giving and service motivated as worship to God and love for God and love for others not ourselves. Now, Jesus is going to teach this lesson two more times with two more examples, prayer and fasting. He knows our prideful human hearts need to hear this three times. But it's neat. As we go into prayer and fasting, we're going to see that exact same point again two more powerful times, but we're going to learn some great things about prayer and fasting along the way. So let's look at number two example, prayer. Let's talk about prayer. What does Jesus have to say about prayer? Prayer is the fundamental activity of Christ followers, of people who know God. If, we know, if you know God, you talk to God. If you truly know him, you talk to him. But it sure is easy to have the wrong heart motive, even for prayer. Let's look at the wrong motive. Jesus gives example number two, verse five. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
For the Pharisees, they loved to stand and pray publicly to be seen by others. It's unlikely that they'd pray any other time unless someone was watching them to be applauded. It disgusted Jesus. He's calling them out because he saw their hearts. They're hypocrites. They didn't love God. They didn't love to pray. They loved to be seen. We need to examine our motivation for what we do. It's example number two of the same wrong motive. Is this why you do what you do? Just for a good feeling for yourself to be seen and applauded, to impress other people. If so, we need to stop that. We've been called out to simply turn that attention from ourselves to your audience of one, to God. Your heavenly Father who sees in secret. I love that. This is the right motive. It's all for him. And he shares that pleasure, that blessedness, that happiness, and his glory with you, he says. Here's the right motive. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. That would blow the Pharisees away. It's like, why would I do that? No one would see me if I'm in a secret room. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He'll reward you with a real relationship with him and real power in your prayers. Oh, those are blessings that we want. One day, years ago, I caught my seminary professor president in the act. He never knew it, and I never told him, but it was my first semester at seminary. I had moved to Tacoma, Washington in 2001, and it was early in in my first semester. After a chapel service got out, I had some time between classes, and I was on a break after some time, and everybody cleared out of the chapel. I went back to the chapel to see if I could explore this really magnificent building. And so I checked the doors, and, it, and they were unlocked. And I walked in, kind of sneaking in there. And when I turned the corner, the, the room was empty except for the president of the seminary. He was sprawled out on the stage floor crying out to God all by himself. And I watched him for a minute. I was getting a little nervous that I'd be caught watching him. But I'll never forget that moment and the impression that it made on me of a man crying out to God when no one else was watching and how fervently he was praying. And that's been an impression on me for the rest of my life. And now again, I have to make another important word of clarification for what Jesus teaching and not teaching here. You might be thinking, but Reg, isn't it hard to pray in secret when you're praying with other people? Jesus is not addressing group prayer, a corporate prayer, in this text. He does in a lot of other texts because praying with other people is absolutely critical to the Christian life. It's critical to a healthy family. The family that prays together stays together, empirically proven, vastly true. The families that split apart haven't been praying together. Those that do pray together stay together. Same with the small groups and the churches that pray together and your groups, your friend groups. Pray with your friends and pray in all the groups. And I urge you to come to all the prayer meetings and prayer events that we have as a church because there is the power for our lives. It's very important for us to do so. Also because the prayer that you, how much you pray corporately affects how much you'll pray privately. 
So pray together, pray in groups. But Jesus is not teaching about that in this particular text. Jesus teaches the why of our prayer, though, the motive, why we should be praying, why we do everything to know God so that God gets the glory in everything. He saved us. He's the one who gives us everything that we have. He's the one who empowers us and restores us. He gets the glory. And then number two, motivation is because we love others. Prayer is not the least we can do for others. It is the most we can do for others. Are we doing it? Are we praying for people? Now, with that motivation, we are rewarded in full. Hear Jesus' words. Now, unlike with giving before and then fasting, which comes next, Jesus adds to the wrong and right motives for prayer. He adds a little bit more uh, information for prayer. In addition to the wrong and right motives, we see for prayer the wrong and right methods. Let's hear what else Jesus has to say about prayer. See, Jesus' disciples are still blown away by the fact that they can have a personal relationship with Almighty God. It's blo- I mean, it's, it, is, it should blow us all away. So they asked Jesus, he's right there on more than one occasion, Jesus, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And so Jesus answers, first, with the wrong way. Check yourself here, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What was common back then is still common all around the world today. Pagan prayer is just like this. Pagan ritual prayer is repetitious, and it's mindless. Why is that? Because they're praying to statues or dead ancestors who don't care what you're saying. But it's all about manufacturing a spiritual frenzy with a repetition. Where some people in animistic cultures believe that the more they repeat their prayer, the more their gods are obligated to answer their prayer. It's an obligation thing. This is where prayer wheels and prayer beads and other things like that come in to do this ritually. And we don't need any of these because we... Through Jesus, are praying to the one true God who has become our Father, our perfect, loving Father. It's a relationship. Then Jesus gives us the right method. And it's more magnificent than, than it even appears. It's called the Lord's Prayer. I think commonly agreed is a better pr- uh, name for that would be the Disciples' Prayer because he's giving us this as a, as a magnificent template of how to pray. But it's verses 9 through 13, and next week's message is going to be entirely on this, diving deeply into the Lord's Prayer. And I've, I've already been uh, starting on it, and it is, I'm looking forward to next Sunday. It's going to be so much fun to dive into the prayer. So what we're, I'm just going to read this. And I've highlighted some of the key words that we're going to dive deeply into next week to see what's coming. This is a template of prayer. It's ironic that in some church traditions, saying this over and over kind of mindlessly has become a thing. That was never the intention with the the Lord's Prayer. It's a template for uh, an amazing prayer in relationship with Father God. Let's see. He says, our Father in heaven. So we start first with that relationship. He's our Father, but he's also Hallowed. We're going to study that word. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. There's our series title right there. This is where it's from. 
your will be done. That's actually a scary prayer, as we'll find out. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to look at that, all of those part by part next Sunday. Now in verse 12, Jesus prays forgiveness. And as we read on after the prayer, he goes back and says a little bit more about forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a big deal to God that he, that he says more about it. Let's look at what he says, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Hear these words. Unforgiveness kills and destroys. It destroys our peace it destroys our spiritual lives and practice, often bleeding over into mental health and our physical health. But forgiveness releases those torments and it heals us and it heals our relationships. We talked about forgiveness a lot in this church. And we need to talk about it again today because it comes up in the text, yes, but also because forgiveness is something that we need all the time. Because guess what? Almost every day somebody hurts us or offends us again. So i got to ask you, who do you have to forgive today? Hear these words of Jesus. There's always someone or many. Thank Jesus for the forgiveness that he's given you and it'll be a whole lot easier to forgive other people. Meet him at the cross here. And I hope that this can become a place where all of us can forgive anyone for anything because we must in light of God's forgiveness of us. Now, we're going to move into Jesus' third example of why, of the why in our worship, and that is fasting. Fasting. Fasting is a fascinating topic. It's a scary topic. It's uncomfortable. And it's a, and it's a little tricky to navigate. Let's do our best today. It's also timely because of our church-wide day of prayer and fasting is coming up in less than two weeks, October 14th, 15th. That's a Friday, Saturday. Uh, we have some really cool plans for that, and you'll hear more about that. But let's uh, first define fasting, and then we'll look at the wrong and right motive that Jesus teachings, plus some further truths about fasting. First of all, let's define it. Just so everybody knows, fasting is not driving your car real fast to church. <laughs> not at all. Okay, what is fasting? Fasting is abstaining, that is from going without, uh, from food or drink or both for religious or health purposes. So let's talk about the wrong motive. Verse 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. May be seen by others. That's, that's, all, they're, that's all they care about. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, just to clarify something, Jesus says, when you fast, although fasting is not commanded outright for everyone to do, and there's some significant reasons for that, uh, like prayer is commanded and giving is commanded, fasting is not commanded, but Jesus assumes that this is a major part of his audience's spiritual practice. And so I'm going to encourage everybody to put your toes in the water if you've never done this before, if you're nervous about it, we're going to walk in this together in appropriate measures. It's going to be great. 
This is a major part of his audience's spiritual practice. We just need to do it right, which is not bragging about it. I could say, Sean, what's wrong? And he'd say, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm fasting today. It's been six hours. I'm so miserable. Is that right? <laughs> this is the wrong motive. Everybody, look at me. The right motive, again, Jesus says, verse 17 and 18, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That means just look normal, groomed like you would every other day, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's the same motivation, the same why as the other two. That we live to worship God, not ourselves. Can we all say amen to that by now? Amen. That is the main lesson that Jesus has for us today. But before we conclude, let me just add a little bit more from God's word about fasting. Uh, this, it's a fascinating spiritual discipline, and it's one that will benefit our lives and our world tremendously. So three types of fasts found in Scripture. I'll give some biblical examples of them. And we're going to be sending this material out probably through email um, this week or next week to prepare for our day of fasting. But real quick, three types that we see in Scripture. First, the normal fast means to abstain from food, solid or liquid, but not from water. This is the most common fast that we see in the Bible. We see it Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, Jesus fasted in the, in the desert. Matthew 4, 2 said Jesus, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Amen. So the, the body can go about 40 days without food. It can only go about four days without water. And so we assume Jesus drank water. Uh, and he, he stretched the food part as far as his physical body could possibly go. That's the normal fast. The partial fast means a limited diet but not abstaining from all food. This was like Daniel and his three friends ate only vegetables and water for 10 days, and that was for the purpose of, chapters 1 and 10 identify for physical health, for mental health, and for spiritual health. So that's a partial fast. And then there's the absolute fast. This is the most extreme one. It means to abstain from anything coming into your mouth, all food and drink, including water. In Acts 9, Paul neither ate nor drank for three days. In Ezra 10, Ezra had no food or drink to mourn the exiled Israelites' unfaithfulness. In Esther 4, Esther requested all the Jews fast on her behalf as she went to the king to spare them all from being executed as a race. Do not, she says, do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Those are examples. This is the most extreme fast when you're really crying out to God. There are other helpful fasts. I just want to add a fourth category. Things that we can do to deny ourselves of things that have become kind of an idol. Uh, one I think of because it's been so helpful for our family a couple times when we needed it is to take a media fast, like a 30-day media fast. You shut off all screens, music, TV, screens, social media, movies, all have so much influence on us in this culture. And you know when it starts getting you in its grip, a good thing to do is detach from that thing that's becoming an idol and getting control in your life. So take a week off or 30 days off we were encouraged to do that, and it's a great way to reset your priorities and your spiritual life. 
And you can do that. One, one young man just a few months ago right here in a church service said that, identified that sports had become such an idol. And he was essentially taking a break, a fast from those things that had become an idol in his life. And that's right on. And we need to do that. So other reasons for fasting. Just want to buzz through these real quick. This speaks to the why of fasting. And really all the spiritual disciplines and all the spiritual practices of our lives. Um, I'm going to read again from a list that we're going to be sending out to everybody with full of scriptures and everything. First reason is for godliness. This goes all the spiritual disciplines. First Timothy 4, 7, 4, 7 says this plain, Dis- discipline yourself, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Jesus came in part to show us what that looks like in all situations. How do we discipline ourselves for godliness? We follow Jesus in every decision we make, in everything we do. And that takes discipline. So that's one reason for fasting. Several others are identified in the Bible. I'm just going to buzz through this list. And again, we'll focus much more on this in our day of prayer and fasting. But just look at this. These are from Scripture, lots of examples. People fasted, one, to strengthen prayer. Remember when Jesus said to the disciples, why can't we cast this demon out? Because this one, this type, only comes out through prayer and, and fasting. Fasting adds an intensity to your prayer. To seek God's guidance. Not one of us doesn't need that from time to time. We need God's guidance. This is a a way to have such a fellowship with him that you hear his guidance. To express grief. If you're really mourning, you'll probably feel like fasting. Do and commune with God our Father. To seek deliverance or protection throughout Scripture, and today it's a good practice if you need to be delivered from something or protected, fast and cry out to God, to express repentance and return to God. This will be very effective as you need to repent and return to God, so close with God as we pray and fast in such an intense way. Others for self-denial in worship, we are so prideful. It's It's a tool to overcome that to humble oneself before God, and to overcome temptation if the devil's got a foothold in your life on something. Fasting is a good way to help overcome that temptation. I read this quote from a reformer, Pierre Verret. This is a great quote I want to kind of conclude with here before the next steps that ties all these things together. Just listen to this quote. He says, Thus, first of all, we are required to pray, talking to our God. But it is not enough to simply pray. We must pray as we ought and in such a way that God is not more dishonored by our prayers than if we had not prayed at all. Thus, let us hasten to take up these weapons, tears, cries, signs, groans, and fasts, prayers and supplications with true repentance. And when God has sufficiently humbled us and when we acknowledge our sins, We will hear him speak to us as he spoke in the time of Moses. He will send us servants and captains to deliver us by his strong and stretched out arm. This is why we have a spiritual life and practice and why Jesus has taught us the lessons he has today. Now, just one more important word of clarification in regard to fasting. Reg, isn't it hard to fast in secret when the whole church is doing it? It's a good question. Once again, God looks at our hearts. This is a corporate fast. Or how about praying and fasting corporately together? 
It's one of the most powerful forces. Just the book, the book of Acts alone, but the whole scripture testifies to that. That's when power, the miraculous, happened. We get to experience that in a couple weeks. Telling people who you're discipling about your fasting so that they can learn from your godly example, that is also great. And so I'll share with people about my experiences with fasting. God looks in my heart. It better not be bragging, but helping disciple people along to enter this glorious thing that God has given us. That's got to be your why. May it be. Here's some next steps that will help us. First, I want to encourage you to, to do business with God right now and just commit. I will start examining my why in everything I do this week. And that will be an enjoyable commitment for you and your relationship with God, who loves you. The reason I do everything I do is it so that I look good, a moment in the spotlight? Or is it God's eternal light and blessing for his glory? we got to battle hypocrisy moment by moment. May we encourage each other to do that. Or consider if you've truly repented and received Jesus' salvation from your sin at all. Have you been given his spirit to be filled with? Have you been given forgiveness for your sins by calling on him? He's paid the price for it. You can do that today, and we'd love to talk to you about that. Now, real quick, three next steps in Jesus' three examples. Practical things I just want to ask all of us to do together as a church family. One, giving. Help hit our 2022 budget. We have the chili cook-off in a couple weeks. We have a Christmas offering coming up that's an annual thing. Those are special opportunities to give, and those are great. Give in secret, generously, joyfully, uh, to continue great works uh, that God's called us to do in this world. But I just want to remind you that all the works we do as a church, we try our hardest to make sure our mo- uh, motivation is, is, um, of our heart is absolutely biblical, But all the work of the ministry done by Community Grace is funded by your faithful and generous giving. So I want to celebrate that at this time, okay, at last report that I I received, our giving is up 18% over last year at this time. And so that's great. I just want to say praise God and, again, recognize you for your faithfulness. Uh, We are a growing church with growing vision and opportunities and needs and inflation. All those things. So we're still a little short on this year's budget, and this is a call to try to hit that budget by the end of the year. I don't see what people give ever, but God does and rewards you with the right motivation. It's wonderful. Just a call for that, to continue the work of the ministry at Community Grace. Second, praying. Join the e-prayer team. All those prayer requests that you write on your cards, they go to the e-prayer team in an email every week, and the staff and elders pray over that, and And it's a great way to be connected and in prayer with each other. Pray, just pray. Come to all the other prayer meetings and events uh, that we hold and be people of praying, talking to God. Number three is fasting. And again, participate in the day of prayer and fasting. And we'll talk more about what that looks like. Write it on your calendar, October 14th and 15th. Let's pray with a full heart toward worshiping God. Lord, if there's... Any wicked way in me. We know that man looks on the outside of appearances, but you look at the heart. So examine our hearts right now. Cleanse us, purify us. We confess of our pride right now. 
And this preoccupation that we have with ourselves, I pray that we'll successfully give that over to you on the cross, joyfully knowing that you've taken that away and that living for your glory is the best way of life. That's our prayer. Hear our prayer. Grow us, we pray, as people, as families, as a church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.